Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Becker's Healthcare podcast series. My name is Nate Maslach, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Ribbon Health, a provider data platform and management solution. Today, I have the privilege of speaking about the future of provider data with Dr. Manish Oza, physician lead for clinical strategy at Amazon Web Services, and Dan Rosenthal, advisory partner at Adreesen Horowitz and former CEO of United Healthcare West. Thank you both so much for joining us. To get started, um, would love for each of you to introduce yourselves for our listeners and share a little bit about your background, role, organization. Dan, why don't we start with you? Hey, well, good morning, everyone. And um, Nate, Manish, I'm excited for the conversation. And my name's Dan Rosenthal. As you said, I'm an advisory partner with Andreessen's Bio and Health Fund. And uh, about a year ago, I retired from United Healthcare after uh, about 21 years. I had a, several different roles. I ran a couple of the markets um, in Florida and California, we're in the Rust region, and uh, I was also responsible for the national network role for about six years. And uh, I'm excited to talk about provider data, believe it or not, because it's a very important topic that we need to figure out how to get better at. Thanks, Dan. What about you, Manish? Hi, uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you, Nate. Pleasure to speak with you, Dan. Um, I'm an emergency room physician uh, by training, was faculty at Johns Hopkins in Maryland, uh, practiced all the way up until 2020, till COVID made me put my, hang my stethoscope up for a little while at least, uh, was uh, with Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield for almost 13 years, had numerous roles, regional vice president in um, national accounts. My last role there was the VP of product and uh, have been with Amazon coming up almost on for two years as uh, the position lead in healthcare and strategy. Thank you both so much for being here. Um, I've been excited for this conversation, uh, not only because I think we have some important topics to cover, but because talking about provider data at dinner parties isn't as popular as, as I wish it were. So I'm glad I have some experts in the room today. I'd love to start by sharing a stat um, and diving into our reactions around that. Research from uh, the Journal of American Medicine shows that 81% of entries and provider directors of the five largest payers are inaccurate. Um, and Dan, I'd love to start with you as somebody who has been on the receiving end of, of these provider data updates. Um, how have you seen challenges with provider data infrastructure affect overall payer business operations? From your experience in running a plan, how have these challenges directly impacted you and your organizations? Yeah, well, first of all, just that 81% number just smacks you right in the face. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a problem for a lot of different reasons. You know, if you start at a high level, if you're a health plan, you're really focused on a few key priorities. You're really focused on how do you drive the most value and the most differentiated experience for consumers, plan sponsors, and at the same time, how do you lower your operational costs and of course your medical costs? And so from my perspective, you know, a health plan's provider data management processes have a really big impact on, on all of those priorities. In terms of consumer satisfaction and outcomes, if you have poorly maintained data, it, it risks delays in care, increased costs, your members get frustrated, it turns into a churn around members and customers. And the provider data doesn't just impact the directory, but it also has important downstream implications on other really important workflows like claim processing, 
contracting, credentialing, network design, that sort of the backbone of the network all relies on provider data. And so if you have 81% of the directories that have inaccuracy associated with it, you're just operating with a defect that undermines the whole process. And from an operational cost perspective, provider data is a big burden to manage, right? Despite the 81%, we spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of resources trying to figure out how to have accurate provider data, but it's messy. It comes in so many different formats. It's often inaccurate, it's missing data fields. And so it's a really big lift to try to figure out how do you get it better. And if you put the fact that there's already a big lift to try to make it better and you're having 81% defect rate, despite all of that, it sort of puts it on the top of the uh, priority list to figure out how to get better. Yeah, and something that you said and that really resonates, which is that health plans are working really hard to solve this. I think there's sometimes a perception in market that these problems exist because people aren't paying attention. And I, I think the reality is that people really do care that they're spending a lot of time on this and we're just struggle with this as an industry. Everyone understands and agrees how important it is to have accurate provider data. So it's not a question of getting it on people's radar. It's just helping, helping these organizations figure out how to do it better. Yep. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and Manish, I think one of the things that I'm excited about for this conversation is that we have we have folks that have thought about this both from the plan and the provider side. And I'd love to hear your perspective as a clinician first. Like, how do you see these provider data challenges affecting providers or patients or, or both? Yeah, uh, plus one on everything that Dan said, um, I would be generous and say provider directories today are, are suboptimal, and that's being generous. Um, <laughs> so when we think about voice of the customer, I've had the pleasure of you know working on the payer side, now uh, on the on the website and and other responsibilities at Amazon. When I think about working backwards, which is a big thing that we do at uh, Amazon or Voice of the Customer. What members are, are, or patients are looking for are um, advances, not just the basic information, which is table stakes, you know, where's, where the doctor went to school, uh, where they trained, et cetera. But I hope one day in the future we can get to scheduling. I don't know if it's a pipe dream or a moonshot, but, you know, to be able to go uh, see your provider and then schedule, not have to make a call, stay on hold, um, I'm hoping that can one day become a reality. Uh, cultural concordance is a big thing. Um, it's a term, I don't know if everyone's familiar with it, but certain ethnicities may want to pick a provider of the same ethnicity. Uh, and this isn't just Manish speaking, but it, it's been known in the industry that people want choices. They want to have, they have preferences. And so having as much information in the provider directory as possible is going to enable the best member uh, or patient experience. Uh, information about whether they do tele the provider does telemedicine. Um, I think we're just at the at, at the beginning, the infancy of telemedicine. I think uh, COVID turbocharged telemedicine, but there's so much more we can do. Uh, and then ratings. Um, also, I think there's a suboptimal job done. Um, I know when I um, am picking uh, whether it's a profession or a restaurant, uh, I want to see what people think. Uh, that have gone to that, uh, either to that 
provider or that accountant or that lawyer. Uh, I want I want the same with uh, that physician. Um, and I think um, consumers want as much transparency as possible. So we're still at table stakes trying to get, you know, who's in network, who's out of network, uh, right? But I, I hope somewhere in the near future we could have we could meet some of these voice of the customer requests when it comes to the provider directories. Yeah, and I love your focus around the member experience part of this. Um, I remember when we were starting Ribbon six years ago, we would hear the sentiment that, well, consumers don't know how to shop for care. Patients don't want to shop for care. They don't want transparency. And and our underlying hypothesis was that they, they couldn't be more wrong. It's just that we've blindfolded them and not given them the data to be able to make these decisions. And then and then I think we're surprised when people aren't able to make cost-effective, high-quality decisions that make sense for them. Um, and I think it's actually been a huge blocker to value-based care as well. Um, and, and as a company that cares deeply around driving cost-effectiveness and care, I think value-based care is a big theme of that. Um, and so, Manish, kind of maybe tying some of those points around member experience and provider data, um, how do you think provider data, provider data management, some of the, the elements that you flagged can help with value-based care? So a huge priority, uh, as we all know, is the payers are pushing uh, value-based care. And as they start to develop centers of excellence, high-performing networks, pick the adjective or the description that you want, uh, they're going to bubble to the top uh, providers and facilities that are um, in value-based risk contracts. Um, and those those providers and institutions are going to bubble to the top of the provider directly. They're already doing elements of that uh, today. So, and then you have another dynamic uh, in the market where, especially in the primary care space, providers are being bought by private equity uh, backed companies and are also trying to get more sophisticated with population health. And they're trying to drive membership to their practices, uh, especially the PE-backed ones. The reality is most primary care practices are pretty full, uh, if not already at 100% capacity, uh, very close to it. Um, and so we're going to have to uh, get a little bit more sophisticated with the provider directories. Payers are going to have to make it more advantageous to steer members to certain providers if that's their ultimate goal. Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, it does. It does. And I think we have we have a long way to go, but I'm I'm glad that these are the types of initiatives that we're we're focused on. And, and as I think about a long way to go, I we're gonna have to do things differently than we've done them before. Um, and Dan, one thing that I've always appreciated about your perspective is a focus around innovation and and using that to improve the system. So I'm curious from your perspective, at an infrastructure level, what are some of the key elements that you think that health plans and payers have to do uh, to enable them to better meet the needs of their members and the system? Yeah, so, you know, investing in technology and automation obviously is a really big focus for many, I would say, all leadership teams across health plan organizations. And especially when it comes to streamlining manual processes and provider data is the poster child for that. You know, you think about it, most health plans are not built in the same way as a data company. And so it's important if you're a health plan that you look for a partner that has expertise as a data company. And so I'd advise health plan leaders to focus on really integrating a few key components. The first one is automation. 
So provider data management solution that implements automated processes to standardize provider data because it comes in so many different formats or shapes, flavors, um, so many different sources. So you need to automate all that intake. And then there's an enrichment component, which would be the second component that I'd focus on. And enrichment really focusing on filling in the, the spots that are missing, adding powerful new metrics like provider costs, quality, so that you help steer members to high value care in a way that Manish was just talking about, to be honest with you. And then the third component to focus on are insights, really figuring out how do you extract the nuggets of information that allow you to have key insights, come up with reporting, and able to address data issues quickly and reduce frustration for everyone in the system and basically to minimize all the false starts that come with that 81% defect rate. Dan, as you think about the impact that these types of initiatives can have on a leadership team at a health plan, how, how would you think about the impact that this could have if they able to pull some of this off? Well, you know, the, the impacts are many. The first, the first impact is that you have a much better provider experience. You have a much better consumer experience. You have a much better um, experience for everybody that's involved. And, and that translates into higher value, people getting better healthcare, getting it at a lower cost. So all of the key things that drive through the triple aim are impacted by provider data. You know, and then of course, if you have clean provider data and you have strong automated processes in a way that address those three components I talked about, then you're operating in a more efficient way. So you're operating with low, you're getting higher quality and lower cost. And it allows you to improve the way that the overall system works. Thank you for sharing that with us, Dan. And as we think about systemic changes, I mean, I want to tie this back to your focus around the member experience and the types of information that we're providing for, for patients. How do you think provider networks can or should evolve to serve different types of care models and patient needs? What are some of the tools that it's going to take for us to get there? Um, it's some of what we've already touched upon. So transparency, very important. Uh, the ability, hopefully in the near future, for a, a member or patient to be able to schedule uh, right through the provider directory. Uh, seeing uh, the ratings of the doctors, quality metrics that Dan touched upon. Um, if it's a surgeon that you're seeing, uh, the volume of surgeries, we know there's a direct correlation between the number of procedures a surgeon has done, especially with some of the rare, more complicated surgical procedures. Um, just like everything in life, the more they've done, of it, done the procedure, the better they get at it. Um, you know, I hope someday in the near future, home visits seems to be coming back into vogue. Um, home visits, hospital at home, some of the new buzzwords we hear. Uh, I don't know if it's back to the future. I knew when I was a kid, uh, doctors coming to your home when you were sick was still an option. Uh, it seems like um, the pendulum is swinging to some degree back to that. And so being able to pick a provider that either they or somebody that's part of their practice can do uh, home visits is interest uh, of interest. Um, I think there's a lot of focus in value-based care, especially the focus in Medicare Advantage. We know 10,000 people a day are um, falling into Medicare 
Um, and there's a lot of competition to to get the market share and, and to get the majority of those 10,000 members amongst the different payers. And when we, again, go back to voice of the customer, um, what are they looking for when they're picking a plan? Uh, I call it the three, three Ds. Um, is my doctor in, in the network is most important. Second is are my medications and or drugs covered? And then third, what's my out-of-pocket costs? Um, and those are the three uh, three points that uh, Medicare Advantage or consumers in general are looking at when they pick a health plan. And we've, we've certainly seen that as well, um, the, the connection to the type of care um, that, that people are getting. And, and I think consumers are getting a lot more educated and have a much higher bar for what they're looking for, which, which is good. And I think it pushes us as a system to, to deliver a better patient or member experience. So I have one last question for you both. And this is my favorite question to ask anytime that we have folks come to Ribbon and we do fireside chats as well, which is a, a future-oriented one. You're both people that think a lot about the future of the healthcare system. As you think about one thing that we could do as a healthcare system as, as people who are trying to shape the future of that. What do you think that that one thing is that we could do? Um, and how do you think that leads the healthcare system to evolve over the next five to 10 years? Or maybe put another way, what are you really excited about? Um, Dan, maybe we start with you and then Manish, we'll, we'll go to you a second. Well, I think we stick on the topic of provider data in the context of that question. You know, I think if, as we implement stronger solutions around provider data and we have let's say a continuously accurate and provider data backbone that feeds the networks. And so it enables and encourages more modern approaches or maybe back to the future approaches, Manish, about how to get care to people and that it stops being a drag on the system, it being the provider data, and it begins to become an enabler of the system that to me is is an area that I think um, is going to happen because of all of the powerful technology and tools that are coming with coming our way as it relates to provider data. Manish, what do you think? Yeah, the two things that get me excited. Um, I'm going to have to you know use my clinician hat for a second. Um, so one, Gen AI. Uh, I don't think you can have a, a webcast or a call without talking about the potential that Gen AI, Gen AI brings. Um, you know, I work for Amazon. Everybody here can can cross it off on their bingo card. Right. Like we can't have a call without talking about Gen, Gen AI. Um, the, the opportunity is real, right? Just think about your experience when you check into the airline or check out of uh, a grocery store, right? Um, I was on a call earlier today on you know, when you're in the emergency room for something that's quick and easy, some will argue you shouldn't be in the emergency room for something that's quick and easy. Uh, but if you are, um, you know, why isn't there a self-service kiosk that's powered by Gen AI that when and if necessary, uh, you could see a doc um, through telemedicine while you're sitting in the ER instead of waiting for three hours. Uh, that could decompress the ER uh, and leave the patients that you really need an emergency room physician to see, uh, as opposed to some of the coughs and colds and uh, viral things that uh, we get a lot in the emergency room. Um, so a lot of opportunity. Um, I'm excited about the future when it comes to Gen AI. We got to crawl, walk, and then we can run. Uh, but the opportunities are, are real. I can, I can say that with conviction. 
Second, um, when I think about all the remote monitoring devices are, that are out there, right? You've got something that can track your steps. You got something that can track your weight. You got something that can track your glucose, your pulse ox, your, your blood pressure. Um, all this information is going into the cloud, but it's not getting to the people that need it, right? So I'm hoping one day in the near future, all that information, what I call real-time disease management, if a clinician on the other, on the other end or uh, Gen AI can take all that information, triage it, give you prompts um, real-time on, hey, Manish, you didn't do your 10,000 steps. Your sugars are running a little high today. You know, what did you eat? Um, you know, do you need to exercise? Do you need to drink more water? You're never going to have enough clinicians around to do real-time disease management, uh, nor should you. These are types, the types of things that Gen AI, um, if you ingest it, have the right foundational models in place, can prompt uh, a patient. Um, and I think when and if we get there, that's when you're going to start to see the bending of the trend when it comes to cost. Um, and, and what uh, the percentage that healthcare is with G, uh, in GDP. Um, until we can get to more prevention, uh, better disease management, real-time disease management, treating the patients where they are in their home, leveraging technology, um, and then when needed, bump up to a telemedicine visit with a mid-level provider. These are the things that get me excited. These are the things that made me want to join Amazon. Uh, and so these, that's, these are the places that I hope uh, we will see disruption in, in the near future. Well, that gets me excited too. Uh, and one thing that I really appreciate about both your answers and where we spend a lot of our time too is thinking about that note of care delivery. No matter how much innovation we drive into the system and we should keep doing so, like healthcare will ultimately end up being between a patient and a provider. And I think all of us are working hard to make sure that that interaction is as positive as possible, as efficient as possible, that it's the right match. And I'm, I'm really excited for this future uh, in the next five to 10 years. And I know we got our work cut out for us. So I'm very grateful for your time, this great discussion. Uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. Uh, so thank you both so much. Thank you. Great conversation. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Nate.